I've never watched movies oh. on my computer downstairs. It was really nice. I, I had a miserable <laughs> experience. I watched it on my hit clip, and it was not enjoyable. I wish I knew what you're talking about. I watched it on my Zoom. Ooh. I know what you're talking about. I listen to my brother and my brother and me. <laughs> I'm really I'm bummed that was a technology that just didn't Microsoft didn't support enough. I loved the Zoom when I sold MP3 players at Best Buy. The Zoom was so freaking nice. The only thing that I didn't like about it was their the the term that they used for sharing music and was it squirting? Oh my god. <laughs> I like that. That's great. It was really bad. Irresponsible. And in the end, the Zune got beat out by the Pono. Who looks at that triangle thing and says, you know what? This fits in my pocket perfectly. Neil Young. I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. We're the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding movies to see if they hold up. And this time, we were forced to shut off our laser containment system, filling the city with ghosts by watching Ghostbusters from 1984. This movie makes my heart warm. I always hated the the red-haired dude. Walter Peck? Dickless? Yeah. Dickless. 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 You know, he tried. He tried right off the start, and Bill Murray was just a fucking asshole to him. I mean, realistically, he didn't do anything wrong, yeah. Well, he was warned what would happen if he shut off the power, and he did. But he had good reason. He had good reason. He had every reason to be upset. He kept on being antagonized instead of explaining what's going on. He had no proof that they were polluting or causing any problems. He just assumed. <laughs> I wish I could see what data he was making his assumptions with. That's true, because, you know, noxious fumes is kind of a provable thing. Like, show me. But remember, the EPA is the boogeyman. The EPA is the boogeyman. In late 80s, early 90s, EPA was bad, bad, bad. Bad I forgot peoples. how much everyone hated clean environment back then. Yep. Oh, well, you know, it's always that one time that the, you know, the EPA is in charge of a cleanup site and that one time they mess up and cause a bigger problem, then everyone goes, see, the EPA is terrible. Let's oh, like that one time when there was that issue, so they just put a giant dome over a city, trapping everybody inside? Yes, the Simpsons movie. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Epa. Epa, yes. I honestly cannot remember the first time watching Ghostbusters because it's it's so often that I watch it. Yeah. I mean, not as often as, as Rothy. So, like, I, I'm going to be leaning on Rothy and his fanaticism for this movie. What? This is the first time I've watched it since roughly 2016 or 15. That's not true. No way. It is I true. don't believe you. It is true. I, I love Ghostbusters. I just I don't like to talk about Ghostbusters. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that as we'll we'll, we'll get to those reasons. <laughs> but, yeah. but how far back do you think you've watched uh, it? I mean, this movie. I remember watching it on TV in my house in the first house, not the second house. In the first house in elementary school. So that's the the nineties. God, I, I'm so old. Oh no. No, you're not. I know I'm not, but. Like, uh... Oh, no, no. I had a I had a really good reality check. I watched this last night, and Nicole actually sat down to watch it with me for the first time uh, for a Wanderers movie. And I got curious because she said, I wonder how old they were when they filmed this. I looked it up and realized they were all in their early 30s. 
No! Because she thought for she thought for sure that Harold Ramis was in his 40s and Bill Murray was up there too. No, no. No! <laughs> I think, because I did the math. I did the math based off of what their ages are now. So let's take, for example, Dan Aykroyd. He's 69. What? If you go 69... Nice. Or no, no. You don't go 69. You go 2021, <laughs> which is where we are right now, minus 1984, right? That's 37. Math. You take 69 minus 37. What does that give you? Tell me, oh, you're the one with the man. calculator. The same amount of conduit I needed to cut last night. Holy shit. He was 32 years old in this movie. He was uh, he, one year younger than me. How did me. this he's, exact he's, math happen to me a, twice? He's the same age that I am right now. Oh my god. Isn't that? Oh, I know. Oh, that's, no. that's the revelation I had last night. I'm like, holy crap, he was a year younger than me. And then I started doing the math for everybody. I'm just like, they were all around our ages. What do we have to show? I was just I was so heartbroken. This will only continue in life. <laughs> yes, yes. You look up to people being older than you, and then you realize that that's just a snapshot in time, and everybody ages. <laughs> oh, it sucks. I'm assuming I started watching this when it came out to, like, cable or something like that. I didn't see it in the theater or anything. I was probably just a little bit too young still. I saw it in the theater, but that was for the one of the anniversaries. Ah, sure, Just recently. Which I went in full flight suit. You did. The thing that I find interesting about it is, out of the whole movie, and I think it's probably pretty honest for a lot of kids who watched Ghostbusters, is that I got scared by the ghost in the library basement, but then nothing else was scary. Which I think is a great testament to the movie yes that it's not too scary i want to say the only other thing that made people not scared but made people uncomfortable from my childhood memories of talking to people is is the taxi driver just because it's like straight up a fucking zombie driving a car (laughs) 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 i mean that's like the only other thing that people really ever said like oh yeah that scared me too or that made me feel weird like i said it's a good testament to the movie that it's pretty much an all ages show like the humor works for adults, mm-hmm. the humor works for kids, and it doesn't... It doesn't dumb anything down. You don't feel dumb for watching it as an adult, you don't feel like you're missing things when you're watching it as a exactly. kid. Exactly. There's there's a testament to the reason of why we're almost 40 years into this movie being released, and you could find grade schoolers point to the Ghostbusters logo and they know exactly what it is. This movie transcends generations, mm-hmm. it transcends time, it is just always going to be a cornerstone, it's always going to be a staple... Everybody loves this freaking movie. So the the question I have is for Ken. Was this movie allowed in your household that you grew up in? That's a great question. I know I've watched this movie before. I was trying my damnedest to remember when I've watched this movie. I know I watched the cartoon a lot as a child. And I think that might have been my first introduction to Ghostbusters. So going into this movie was a little bit weird. Sure. Well, I mean, the real Ghostbusters were a big deal. I know we watched it in like... Uh, family watched this movie. Not not to mention they really blurred the lines when there was the episode of the real Ghostbusters where they get invited to a movie studio <laughs> to watch them filming a Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> and then they go through all the stuff there, they bust a couple ghosts, and then they go back and they're like, ha who would ever pay to see that? Meta. <laughs> Very meta. So the real Ghostbusters uh... go to see the filming of Ghostbusters the movie. I mean, that's just, yeah. <laughs> There's some blurred lines. And it's even more confusing because they talk about the events of the movie happening in the real Ghostbusters, and that's why they have new suits. Because they all have different colored suits that are new in the in the cartoon, because the suits that they had had too much too much energy from fighting Gozer and, and Stay Puft and stuff like that on them from the events in the movie. <laughs> 
and they couldn't wear them anymore. They had to be basically contained and sealed away. So <laughs> it's like it's like this great scale. It's like where the hell are things lining up? Well, for people who haven't seen the Ghostbusters, which it seems weird to even say that, but there's got to be people out there. I, I'm assuming there are tons of people who haven't seen it. You know, there's tons of people who haven't used a rotary telephone, and that should be weird to you too. Mm-hmm. Not really. I think at this point, tons of people could get no, away no, with it. No, no, they have the perfect chance to start using one. They have that uh, Fisher-Price uh, New Age one coming out. Oh, what, what the hell is it called? Chatter? Is it the Chatter yeah, phone? Price, wait, is it a legitimate phone? Yes, Nicole's panicking because she wants one and the uh, pre-orders have sold out. She wants one so damn bad now that I showed her and I feel terrible for actually showing her this thing. Now I have to Google. It is <laughs> It is weird. Bluetooth and it actually does have a working rotary and every time you pick a number it says the number back to you like one, two. And the thing is on wheels, it rolls and the eyes move and everything. Oh my Six, god. 60 bucks. Oh, so it's it's like the classic toy, but it's yes, modernized. It's a classic toy, but for adults. It's only seven dollars. <laughs> according, yeah, according, you can get it at Kohl's. But yeah, yeah. Now it would only be better if you push that phone around and its eyes go back and forth. They do. Forth. They go up and down. They like go up and down. <laughs> there we go. They they were on top of it when they remade it. <laughs> well, anyway. For those of you who haven't watched uh, Ghostbusters, it's basically you have three, and I'm going to put air quotes, scientists, doctor people who have a grant at a college to uh, do parapsychology. Two of them are very much into it. One of them is not into it, but does not want to ever leave college. So this is what he's doing now. And they actually accidentally fall into the world of the paranormal because it's just takes off one day it just starts happening and it seems uncontrollable and it just coincides with them getting into the business and the science of capturing and uh holding ghosts and they make a huge business off of it make a slaying on it and um do not participate in trickle-down economics to their other hired employees and uh, the EPA or EPA, as we talked about, is not into it, and they shut them down. And uh, shutting down causes all the ghosts to get out after they capture them. It triggers a mass parapsychological situation that unearths a ancient Sumer. Was it Sumerian or Babylonian? Sumerian. I've been watching the Evil Dead, <laughs> not the Hittites or not That's the Deadites. The what, worst I mean, time to be watching that. Basically, the same thing. <laughs> And uh, so this ancient god comes to life and then is threatening, destroying the earth. And these guys with their proton packs come and stop Gozer from taking, uh, destroying, not taking over, destroying the earth and save the day. Basic summary. See, and, and that therein your explanation is the brilliance of this entire plot of this entire movie. You have gentlemen who are obsessed with paranormal and they devote their lives to it. They have PhDs in it. And what do they do the first time they actually get living, breathing proof of paranormal entities? They pull together their bootstraps and they fucking start a blue collar business to eradicate ghosts. I don't know if it's more of eradicate. It's more of like, instead of studying them, instead of anything else, they immediately just started elimination business. Capture <laughs> like and removal. Pest. It's so good. These people need money <laughs> for their three arcade machines inside their store. And the pool table. That 
and the pool table. <laughs> For having no petty cash, they sure are extravagant with what they purchased. Anyway, yeah, that's why they have no uh, petty cash left. <laughs> they bought the important stuff first. <laughs> that's one of the, the really fun things about watching it later is that picking up on that, like I said, they don't believe in trickle down. They're saving all the profits for themselves yes. and like barely installing any of that money for except anything. the sign except the sign that's still one of my favorite like slow burn jokes is when they first open up they got that really crappy flat sign and bill murray makes that comment you don't think you don't think they're gonna not gonna notice this when they drive by you don't think it's too small and then next thing you know they have this giant ass Neon. super illuminated yep. white ghost <laughs> out on the front of the building <laughs> yes i, I love that i love that so, yeah, that's, let's not stop there. What do we like about this movie? Because I'm sure there's plenty to say. Chemistry, lightning in a bottle. Yeah. There has oh my God. been a lot of films that hit this, but like this was just such a ridiculously perfect point in time for the chemistry of the actors that are in this film. Everybody in this film is just firing on all cylinders. Everybody is just playing off each other so well. There's not a bad performance in the entire damn movie. It just works. It's perfect. It's not like you ever get the feeling like one character's overshadowing everybody. You you love Lewis Tully just as much in this as you love, you know, Peter Venkman. Peter Venkman's obviously That is not true. Lewis Tully's way better. Lewis Tully is amazing. But but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it's not like one character has majority more screen time than anyone else or demanded that they had, you know, more time on screen to act out their their way that they would want to do things. It is very evenly mixed between everybody in here. You have a lot of big names and it just flows so damn well. I like little things, and this movie, as I know, I've when listening to past episodes, Dan loves to say how he likes all the little things and how the movie does little things so mm-hmm. well. It's yep. like, here it is. It's the same thing. It's the freaking little things in this movie. One of them that I really like is the long, thin tool that's like a <laughs> stick, and it goes to this side pack, and then there's a little squeeze yes. ball. <laughs> <laughs> Never explained what it is. It's in the commercial. It's one of their toys. You see Venkman go through Dana's apartment with it, and he doesn't even know what it does. Are you sure you're using that thing correctly? I it's, love that. It's not like it. I think so. <laughs> it's just like a, such a. You never. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, there's so many like little tiny things. It's just like, oh, that's just a piece of their equipment. <laughs> no further explanations needed. Yep. He wanders around an apartment I mean, squeezing a ball. Honest, That's I it. don't want an explanation. I love the fact that it's just something. Same here. I love watching him just wander around squeezing a bottle or squeezing a little <laughs> pump. And there's nothing else we need to know. Nothing else at all. The sound effect really Yes, I, I watched it in 4K this time around. I love the sound of that ball being pumped. <laughs> brings me back to all the times I got my blood pressure taken. I mean, yeah, kind of. It's the same ball. In the same vein of little things, it's it's stuff that I didn't realize until watching as an adult. Like, there's a lot of things that I saw, obviously, as a kid, and then things grew on me as an adolescent, and then things grew on me as an adult. And one of my sister and brother-in-law's favorite parts about the movie is, is when they f- first capture their first ghost with Slimer in the hotel. And they're just coming up with shit off the top of their head as to how much it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. Because you could see Egon, and, and it took so many years for us to actually realize it, but seeing Egon just, you know, sitting there just kind of like itching his nose and putting up fingers individually, just kind of trying to play off Peter. <laughs> so while Peter's talking, he's looking over. Right before he goes into that, Peter brings up his notebook, and he's like, yeah, points at Egon, like, does that look right? Exactly. They're just playing off each other so well in that scene. There's so many good one-liners and, like, memorable line oh. sets in this movie. I'm made a note Even of that the ones, and yeah. then mm-hmm. i like started putting ticks in 
for different one-liners, one-liner, like, sets, and I really should have. I, I did it apparently 12 times. I, I don't know what one-liners they are, <laughs> but... There's there's throwaway ones. There's ones that, like, they're, they're probably not even meant to be something that was memorable, but they still stuck with me years later. Like, I love the scene where Peck comes up as Egon's trying to go off to find Tully as the roof blew off the HQ, and I, I just love Egon's response of your mother as he, as he just like reaches out and starts to <laughs> there's so many good comments in this film there's so many good ones like that like you know just like the sure do you want some coffee yes have some yes have some <laughs> just like back and forth things like that there's so many stupid good one-liners so many good jokes so many things that just they're not even set up as jokes it's just the way they say them is just so memorable and so damn funny you're right. No human would stack a book like this or stack books like this. Somebody blows their mm. nose and you want to keep it? <laughs> like, <it's> just... <laughs> I was going to write down my favorite one-liner. It's so but hard. It just, by a you certain can't. point, I'm like, I yeah. can't. There's there's too many. Um, one of the, I had a wiki open with like, I forget what they had, like what the, the title of the, the page was, but it was just like different little one-off things in the movie. Apparently, Every scene had at least two lines that were off script. Every scene in this movie. Sure. Scene it really shows with the, with the with the cast that they had. They were all at the freaking height and playing off each other so well. I can just imagine how much fun it would have been to be on that set. <sighs> and yeah, still like one of my absolute favorites. And I, I just love when when Peter goes in for the very first time. Introduced to Egon, it's just that Egon slams the book down. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. It's just little things like that constantly. It's just the constant looks, the constant reactions from the things they say. I mean, I mean, shit. Even even the little scene where they're walking out after uh, after having their conversation. It's 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 Ackroyd, it's it's Ramus and and Murray, and they're all walking together. And he he says that thing to Egon. And he just pulls out a fucking crunch bar and just kind of like slightly yanks it away from him and then gives it to him. It's just like what the hell. If you want to talk about little things that are also, you know, I've noticed watching this this time around, uh, the guy, when there's a news and the guy just stops in the background and looks at the camera yes! like yes! any other newscast, mm-hmm. yes! like, what is that guy doing there? And then after the first time they test their proton packs in the, in elevator? the, uh, in the hotel, they come out, they shoot that maid's cart. And they make the little fire. Well, if you watch in the background after that, she's got a little squirt bottle trying to squirt. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's little things like that that you don't catch because they're not part of the main joke. But if you keep watching, it's like, holy shit, that's great. But Dan, like you're saying, that elevator scene. Yep. That's very funny in the fact that uh, Egon's like, well, we, I'm upset we didn't get to test the packs first. And they're like, all right, well, switch me on. And they get as far away from him as they possibly can. I mean, it's, it's only an unlicensed <laughs> nuclear particle accelerator. It's fine. <laughs> the practical effects that they use in the movie. They are gold. Are gold. I have notes it's, about them, though. The the matte. Some of the matte paintings will get to that. Yep. But the ghost effects in that, general. Those are not practical. The practical ghost effects in general. The practicals. The, the idea of filming free-flowing ghost puppets underwater to get that effect is just unbelievably brilliant mm. it, it holds up so freaking well it looks so good still just ma, <laughs> I, I love it so much 
I mean, even the stuff like the uh, the the Dewey Decimal System cards flying out of their flying out of their rows. And yeah. Oh God, I love that. For years, I've still tried to catch the the strings for the books flying across the the aisle, and I still can't see them. The books that float across look like that they're mats. Oh, okay. So okay. I wouldn't be surprised if if they're not actually floating across. The big scene. one for me that I've never gotten an answer for, and I don't want an answer because it would ruin it for me, is Dana when she's hovering above the bed. Oh, yeah. Because they, they, they pull her up, and it's like, oh, it's just this kind of thing. But then they rotate her, and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> it's, it's good. And, and I love that scene, too. I love the little things, too. Like They could have cut like so many other movies would do, but the fact that they kept the piece in where, where Peter says the line about coming down she barks at him and he cowers for like a split second against the wall that is comedy cold <laughs> like there's just so many pieces like that in here yes and i don't care how many times i've seen this movie it's got to be close to the triple digits that scene with lewis tully talking about the followers being roasted <laughs> in the slores and tours and just a straight delivery of that i still crack up every single time that happens <laughs> All of his lines are great when he's not even possessed and he's popping out of his room to be sleazy to Dana, but also when he's got his party going on and he's just, he can't stop talking about whatever it is. Other people's finances. It's a good character Mm -hmm. choice. The moat left on their houses, how much they refinanced for, how much the salmon cost, everything. The fact that they're only there because they're clients and he's going to write them off as taxes. <laughs> yep. 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 And I, I got to say, I, I love John Candy. I absolutely love John Candy, but I cannot imagine anybody else but Rick Moranis for that role. And it it, it breaks my heart because I love John Candy and I love seeing him in things and I wish there was so much more because he died way too soon, but... Rick Moranis in this role was absolutely golden. Yeah, I was watching because I didn't want to push pause. I was, you know, not into it. They uh, had a extra features afterwards, and they had uh, they were talking about that. Uh, John Candy mm-hmm. was their first thought to put in that spot, and he was there. Uh, he wanted to do a German accent for that role, and then have like dogs and stuff, and like he just he just didn't get it. Like he he had this big over the top thing for that him. That'd have been such a different character i'm i'm really glad they went with rick moranis as much as i love john candy mm-hmm. absolutely one of my favorites but that would have been just not in place for like this american new york movie yeah and and even going down the darker route like i understand the original script was obviously meant for you know it's was, it was meant to be a vehicle for dan Aykroyd and, and john belushi it's it's tough even imagining john belushi in this movie because I mean, come on, Bill Murray just kills the freaking role he's in. It's so hard. And I can't imagine anybody else but, you know, Ernie Hudson playing playing Winston. It's I can't imagine I can't imagine Eddie Murphy being in this movie. It's just sometimes things shake out in such a way where it's just it, it for some reason turns out so much better than it, it was prophesized to be. Because I mean, the way that they had intended this film to be would have been leaps and bounds different than what we got. And it's just, on paper, it sounds like the perfect combination. It's like, well, of course, Eddie Murphy's in the height of his prime. Let's let's get him in there. You know, John Belushi's hysterical. Let's get him in there. He plays off Ackroyd very well. But it just, knowing what we got, it's so hard to think about what it could have been. And in the middle of the movie, seeing Larry King, and then hearing Casey Kasem... And then remembering that Harold Ramis is no longer with us, that all three of those guys are all gone now. And it's and just like, oh. yeah, when the part where Janine's, uh, Janine says, 
you know, I'm kind of psychic a little bit. I, I feel like you're going to die. Oof. Yeah. Well, that it happened much later, but... <laughs> but still, it hits different when it's happened. <laughs> Oh, I mean, no. this this was a very important movie series for me growing up. It shaped a lot of me. It the best way I can put it is, and I need to check something here for a time just to make sure that I'm I'm saying this correctly. But for me specifically, everybody talks about the Beatles and like how distraught they were when John Lennon died and how much of a shock it was. This for me was my Beatles, and having any of the four Ghostbusters die in my time on this planet just felt completely impossible it's like they'll always be there and having ramus pass away was it's pretty rough it was definitely one of the things that took the wind out of my sails for uh the fandom and and kind of keeping in track and it just kind of brought me down a bit but i'm checking something quick here because i think i know the year that this other movie came out yes perfect example prime example this is the first movie Growing up in my adolescence, my childhood, this is the first movie that I saw where geeks and nerds were smart and cool and somebody to be respected and looked up to. Egon was, like, hands down the best role model for me growing up because he was nerdy, he was into science, he was into games, everything, but people didn't make fun of him for it. You look at the flip side of things, Revenge of the Nerds came out the exact same year. Think of the way they portray nerds and geeks in that movie. Mm -hmm. And think of the way that Hollywood typically did for most of the 80s and basically got that stigma rolling of being a greasy, nerdy geek with big, thick glasses and not being smart and everybody makes fun of you, ha, 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 butt of the joke. Ghostbusters was on, like, a pillar of its own as, you're cool if you're smart. Look what these guys did. (laughs) It's just like, it was Mm -hmm. a completely different feeling. Because I look at things like Big Bang Theory, and I'm not a fan of that show. I understand why some people like it, but it's just like, that show is just a culmination of the views of people who like comics, video games, movies, you know, hyper-focus over things like that. It's like every trope you had throughout 20, 30 years got put into a TV show. Yep. And that is how they chose to portray nerds, and that's why so many people kept coming up to me saying, oh, you don't like that show? It's like, well, yeah, how could I? (laughs) I'd rather people think, you know... The, the smart smart nerd or the smart geek is cool versus making fun and laughing at somebody just for living and doing what they like to do or having a hobby. God forbid it not be football or sports or something. Mini <laughs> uh, rant over, but yeah. Getting back to effects, I was blown away by probably the most mundane thing in this time around, and I couldn't believe how much it blew me away. Again, I, I don't recall watching it in 4K prior to this viewing, but... Um, the matte painting job of Dana's apartment after it's been blown out by the energy and they're walking through it when it does the zoom out of the apartment complex and there's that little tiny hole you see the Ghostbusters walking in the building that was so seamless and so incredibly done I think in the entire film like all the effects and everything that's the one that actually blew me away the most this time around I don't know how they pulled that off I know it's a matte painting but it looked so unbelievably good the whole top of the building was a, basically a matte yeah. painting, and for the most part, it looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to add something like eight stories to the top of the building. I guess they didn't have to. They chose to. Weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> Nerds. Just kidding. <laughs> and even the music. I mean, it, it's definitely starting to show its wear. But it's it's full-blown uh, 80s. It's age. It's full-blown 80s. But, <laughs> I can't even remember which tune it is, but you just, it, there's a... Subtle undertune that every time it hits, I'm like, oh my god, this song's awesome. 
I think that's probably for me the biggest thing too. I love, I love, 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 love Ghostbusters too. And I know that it's a very, very difficult thing to talk about because not a lot of people do or people <laughs> like it but don't. Things It's all over the place. But Ghostbusters 2, the one thing I will say did not have is the soundtrack. Elmer Bernstein, or Bernstein, his, his soundtrack for this is so unbelievably fitting. It's almost like it's another character of its own. Like, you really can't think of those songs and not think of them, you know, being a vehicle for scenes, from scene to scene and things like that. It's just... It, it just goes so hand in hand with everything happening. Well, you can't you you hear Ghostbusters and that song immediately start the theme song immediately starts playing. You hear mm-hmm. you hear mm-hmm. Ray Parker's two day two day old song. Not old. He took two days to write it, and that song is going to be a banger forever. Yeah, and and Huey Lewis and the News aside, it is a damn good song. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember how that uh, lawsuit shook shook out, but I mean, come on, it's it's totally the same beat as I Want a New Drug, but damn, it's a good song. <laughs> the other song or music that really sticks out to me that is very much attached to this movie is, I don't know what the name of the song is, but it's like that bouncy little undertone whenever they're having like just personal business moments. And it's it's just this little bounce, bouncy jaunty little tune that like, plays like the piano, the horns, and that it's like to bump, me, dump, 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 dun, 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 dun. It could be that, that one. It plays quite often in the movie, and it it it's just one of those things where it's directly associated with Absolutely. this. Like you can't hear th- that tune without thinking of this movie. It's just one for one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll link it in a description we'll have to find, have to find <laughs> or something. something to be like this. It's a song. good idea. I wonder if it's the same one I was trying to remember before. Could be. It's, it's, you would hear it and go, oh yeah, that one. Yeah. On top of that stuff, one thing that I also really like about this film that, I mean, it's not unique to just this movie, but uh, at the time of filming, uh, it's what I would call more of the classic dirty New York. And I know <laughs> yes, the term classic changes over time. That we go back 50 years classic new york would be something way different but to to me this is a more classic seedier dirty new york that doesn't exist anymore new york now is a little bit more clean they got rid of all the porno shops and stuff like that but this is still that era where people are scared to go on the subway because it's super dirty there's gangs roaming and uh, there are streets just full of like you know Trash. peep shows and all that stuff. That and I got to see that New York in person before it changed. And that when I see it in this movie, I'm just like, ah, that's that New York. It's not the current New York. It's that one. I like that. Yeah, I, I, you haven't been back since, have you? No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> they got rid of all them peep shows and and what's, corner what's... dildo shops. What do I got to go back for? <laughs> What's even the point? You gotta go back. You gotta go back for ghost blowjobs. <laughs> oh, God. Well, they probably oh, got no. rid of those, too. Oh, oh, so God. I didn't know that was actually in the movie until I was in my teens, because my parents had a VHS recorded copy from whatever TV station uh-huh. they were from. <laughs> same, and that's what we always same watched. Thing. Same so thing. when I saw it on DVD, I'm like, what Wait, the when, hell? When did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm heartbroken that we'll never get to see that deleted scene, because for those unaware, it was a... It was a a scene where Ray and and uh, Winston go to investigate Fort Detmering, 
And they go to a guardhouse, they go take a look around, you know, take a look at some ghosts, try to find anything there, and Ray basically dons an old military costume and falls asleep on a bed. And that's the dream sequence that was left. The scene was cut, never to be used, but they left that in for whatever reason in the movie, giving Ray this kind of comical dream sequence while he's in the firehouse, but man, was that a shock when that just showed up in the movie. (laughs) I'm like, what is this? I've never seen this. It's one of those scenes that's so odd to be in the movie, and you're like, mm-hmm. it's okay if it gets cut. It's, it's, <laughs> I guess it's funny, but it's also a bit uncomfortable and a very odd thing to have in the movie. But I guess, why not? Okay. Of all the characters to have that happen to, it has to be Ray. It has to be Ray. It couldn't be anybody else. Peter would be too sleazy. It wouldn't make sense for Egon. Um, and then Winston doesn't come along until later. He's too level-headed. He's he's the he's the layman. He's the everyman that you look through his eyes as you're going through this the story. It's got to be Ray. It has to be, it Ray. Has to be Ray. And like you said, that Winston is like the everyman. That was something I didn't really think about in prior viewings. I always felt kind of like, oh, he got kind of the short end of the stick. His role is he comes in late. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to do as much or be featured as much. And I always kind of was like, well, that's a shame. But then this time when I watched it, I kind of keyed in on his role felt to me like he's the vehicle for the viewer to feel like they're participating. Because he's expressing the opinions that more than likely the people viewing would be expressed. Yeah, we wouldn't have conversations with Ray about cross-dimensional rips and things like that when we're going for a job interview. We would say, you know, as, as long as it's got a steady paycheck, he's good. Like, that's the yeah. kind of thing that us as viewers would be expecting. And and I agree completely. I, I always will be sad that Ernie got shafted a little bit in his role for this movie, and I always will feel sad that he feels so let down by that as well, too, because... It, I don't want him to think his performance wasn't incredible because it absolutely was. It's just, it is such a good way for the audience to be involved with these three really smart PhD holding scientists babbling about all this crap. And then there's just this guy, this every everyday ordinary guy who just happens to be a part of the team. And he's basically us having the same questions you would have like you said and everything else it's it works so good it really does and here's that's what i thought bill murray was for because it to me he didn't seem like he was a uh the as intellectual <laughs> it seemed like he was just in there too because it was the easy route for i him. feel like that too he, he's he's definitely the easy route kind of guy but i also feel like he is smart he just doesn't let on like when push comes to shove he'll do what he needs to do because he knows how to do it but I feel like he just doesn't normally because he doesn't care enough to because, eh, somebody else is doing it. Like, I feel like he's got the smarts. He just doesn't... Like, yeah, why Why would I work on any of the equipment? Egon's already building it. Yeah, why would I work on any of this? Ray's already got it. I'm just going to schmooze with the customers as they come through and everything else. Like, he's that kind of character for sure. That's what he's good <laughs> at. He's got the words to be able to convince... Yeah, he's got the charisma, whereas, whereas uh, Ray and Egon are obviously the brains. Ray is so fanatical... It's almost to a point of autism. Like, he can't probably hold a conversation without turning majority of people off of, over his knowledge that they just can't keep up with. And then you have you have Egon, and it's just like trying to talk to him is like talking to a crypt keeper, talking to somebody who works in a morgue. He's, in an, he's, he's an encyclopedia, and that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and interestingly enough, actually, Nicole did ask if uh, Dan Aykroyd was autistic. He does have Asperger's. I knew he had... 
something. I just couldn't remember what he had, so I had to look into it last night. Huh. But, yeah, I mean, it's just... It, it's such a good mix of characters. It's it's not everybody's like this... It, it's not everybody in, in the movie is, you know, a hero to look up to because of this reason, and they all share that exact same reason, so take your pick, it doesn't matter. All the characters are imper- imperfect. Yeah, they, they all have their issues. Egon's really super book smart. Can he hold a conversation with people? No, no. he told Janine Print is dead and awkwardly walked away. <laughs> I mean... Print is dead and print is dead and he collects spores. Yeah, yeah, the spores molds and funguses. It's like that's that's his talk when he's talking to somebody. Same thing with Ray. Like Ray is so hyper focused on the stuff he's interested in that good luck trying to talk to him about anything other than what he's talking about. He just probably wouldn't be able to hold the conversation or have interest in what you're saying unless you're talking about the things he's talking about. And it's just you know Peter. He's such a smart ass, but. He's got charisma, so he can talk to people. So he might not be the smartest scientist in the room, but every single member of the team plays off each other and offers something that the other one doesn't. And that's what's so good about this team. Yeah, every character is a foil for each other. Well, all the of the of the Ghostbusters, there's just, the, every, one character is the, the antithesis of the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, the perfect scene that describes this is the scene where they're trying to figure out where to get the money to start up capital for their for their investment for their for the business, and they bring up the idea of selling Ray's Family. farmhouse. They didn't sell it; they mortgaged it. Three or they mortgaged it. Mortgaged it. Yeah. So that scene is probably the best way to describe this. You've got Egon who is immediately looking into all the math implications and how much this is going to screw over Ray. He doesn't care about anything else. He's just looking into that because he's the, he's the grounded, level-headed guy. You got Ray, who he just made a huge decision based off of his gut because he is the heart of the Ghostbusters and he doesn't care if it affects him negatively as long as he's making the other people around him happy. And he did something for everyone else, including himself, because that's just who he is. And then you got Peter, who is the one who suggested it in the first place. So he's the smarmy car salesman. He's the one who doesn't give a crap. He sees a way. He doesn't care how it happens. They're going to do it. That's how they're going to get their money. And he doesn't really care who gets trampled in the back end. He might feel bad, but he's not going to show it. So it's just... The, the different characteristics between those three characters is just so much fun to watch play out. I guess if you're talking about exact opposites, you got... I, I think it was Ray who said... Working in a college is great. You get, you get paid and you don't have to show any results or something like that. Yeah. Then he brings up the thing about the private sector. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, they hire Winston. He's uh, And he comes in. He's all work ethic. He's like, it doesn't matter what you ask me. I, I'll do anything if you give me a Exactly. Money. Exactly. And then Winston, Winston ends the, I mean, he ends, basically ends the movie saying that he, just screaming out that he loves this town. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He survived a possible apocalypse. So, yeah. Apocalypse? Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Taco lips. Taco. Uh, yeah. Is there anything that would be in the cons category or something that doesn't not enough Ernie Hudson in this movie? Well, I mean, that's a given. <laughs> uh, for, first note I have is that the cinematography isn't the sharpest of so the focus. F- not focus, but like there's. There's well the, 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 that green is that that's the age of the film that they used when they filmed it but like there's a lot of really hard camera angles that I've noticed especially in the the first the the in the in the library there are a lot of very tight shots that I notice are kind of hard to watch especially when they're walk I mean I I I assume that was to kind of portray 
that they're walking through the these narrow nature. yeah the claustrophobic nature the 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 basement of a library but like there are scenes where there the thing that made me write this out was there's a there's a scene where they're they're walking down a hallway and they make a turn and the the camera operator goes like right up in the characters faces as they make this turn i'm like it doesn't seem like that's a polished thing to do in film i will agree with you on this and and at this point um ivan reitman had done numerous movies it's hard for me though because there were at least three points in the film where it was a hard cut to another scene the transition was actually a hard cut too where like it'd be burnt elmer bernstein's score like building with like the the gargoyles on the roof breaking open uh to reveal the terror dogs and then all of a sudden it would just be next scene then it would like cut the song off and i noticed that happened at least three times where there'd be a song swelling and then it would just be an instant cut and it's not like the song had a chance to wind down uh it's not like the scene had a chance to wind down it's just like bam onto the next scene there's no transition really yeah so there's definitely some well, cinematography the still out yeah there. it's tension still there it's just the cinematography was interesting I'd say <laughs> uh, the visual effects, visual and special effects are are aged. Like that's that's a given. The movie is almost forty years old at this point. Like there's a lot of really good special effects, but they just like nowadays are not good. But that's I mean that's technology. That's just the expanse of tech of visual and special effect technology that has grown since this movie came out. And that's unfair of me to say, but it's something that I have to say because. It is something that you notice. It's part of the See, movie. And, and that's definitely something. It's um, There are effects in this movie that I would die on a hill arguing are better than effects today. And there are effects in this movie that absolutely have aged. For me specifically, I know exactly which ones everybody complains about because they're the ones that are the most prevalent. Stay positive. Terror dogs. Oh. Terror dogs as well. Terror dogs when they're in the apartment, yeah. not when they're the actual like animatronic. And then also Stay Puft when he's wandering through the matte paintings in the streets and you have characters that are either translucent like Peck, or you have him awkwardly transparent through the church and things like that. That translucence is something that happens more than once in the movie. And the first time that I noticed it, there is a mm-hmm. scene where it's it the the ter- there's a st- statue of the terror dog in the foreground and you're looking down at the street. And you can see the street lines through the terror dog's jaw. I mean, that's unfortunate. It's just, like you said, it's with time. Meanwhile, the ghost effects are incredible. And I still think that they haven't been beat. You look at 2016's Ghostbusters in comparison, and it looks like the ghosts are that really like cheesy, cheesy cartoony style that look like they belong in a Scooby-Doo movie, not in Ghostbusters. And these look physical. They look real because they're just that well done. Well, because they were. Yeah. Which I... So it's, I'm, it's definitely tough. And I don't care. I love the Stay Puft. There's a oh, lot of really... The Stay Puft is great. There's a lot of really great... There's, a, <laughs> there's so much detail his in that squishy little so body good. of his. And like, I don't know what they did. Did they... Was that a full puppet that they made? Because there's so much emotion that that monster gives. Oh no, gives. It, was, it, was a, it was totally an actor in a suit, Godzilla style. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought that was like no, a they, miniature no, they like, made... puppet thing. Oh, no. Oh, no. They had a full-on suit, Godzilla style. They built an entire replica of New York City's, uh, wh- wherever that was specifically. They had model cars driving around, crashing into each other, and everything. Like, that is a full suit. Animatronic with moving mouth and eyes and everything. Oh, wow. It's okay. a guy just wandering around. I've got pictures of the actor in it. Like, he's just smiling his head off. I would, too. That's a, <laughs> You know you were going to get 
remembered for that role, even though your yep, face exactly. is exactly. Be like, I was a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and everyone would be like, Oh damn! <laughs> yeah, I was the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. You have no proof except for you know credits, but still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, like all oh, that's great. It's just. It's the age of the movie. There's no way to make that seamless. Nope. I mean, even the biggest studios, the biggest movies, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, looks terrible when you get to the bridge crossing scene. And like, it's just, I don't care who you are. It's just going to be so hard to do something like that and make it look good in that time frame. And I will not accept anyone taking a film like this and then going, I'm going to update it and destroy the negatives of the original because this is what it should have been. And it's a no, 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 no. You released George it. George Lucas? So you're saying Lucas style. George Did I just Lucas? get so angry. Yeah, Lucas style. Was it hard to tell no. who I was talking about? Yeah, I thought you were talking about... Um, I don't even have anything. <laughs> nope. It's just... It doesn't matter that... Yeah, it has bad special effects, but it's its time, and that's how we grew up with it. To, to do anything different would be an insult to it later i mean could we have somebody go through and clean up some of the special effects yeah cleaning up edges is fine making transparencies not transparent is fine but let's say replace the stay puff marshmallow man with a, a cg sequence that is better in air quotes no Oh god, that'd be awful. Well, I mean, they they did that with Yoda, or or Steven Spielberg going back and putting walkie talkies in the hands of FBI agents. Walkie talkie. Yeah. <laughs> that one still pisses me off to this day. I mean, other than, like other than that, it was I I I didn't notice a lot of things that I didn't like about this movie. My last the last note that I had, I mean, most of it was special effects things that that I picked out. But the last thing that I noticed was after they defeat Gozer, the terror dogs, the, the dead bodies, have mold lines all over them. Really big, Man. bad mold lines. I mean, you can pick up the proton packs, too. Well, the they, proton have the, pack. they have the dummy packs on for a majority of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you, you ask definitely tell they were rubber like, all of a sudden they didn't have all the hoses and stuff, and when they backed up against walls, they bent. <laughs> Those packs weigh what? They're forty pounds, 50, 60 50, pounds, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want. I like as an actor, I wouldn't want to wear that all day. Oh yeah, Bill Murray made a comment about Afterlife because the packs that they made for Afterlife are super, super light in comparison. He was pissed that the kids didn't have to go through what they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kids who are half his agent from that movie shouldn't have should have should have scoliosis yeah of course they're used to carrying them heavy ass backpacks <laughs> with all the books oh yeah my yeah. kids so, serious things i don't like i don't like bill murray's character <gasps> he's a creep i don't like valkyrie he's a creep he makes me uncomfortable i no, yeah 100 percent. he's a creep is it because he brought tranquilizers to a date oh my god <laughs> is it because he took advantage he was uh taking advantage of it's a fucked a, up a young college girl in the opening scenes of the movie that's exactly it he abused test subjects for his own amusement and so he can get laid like that is just terrible right off the bat and it's going to be so hard to win me back no matter how many jokes and sarcastic things you throw in there you're still going to be in the back of my mind a dirty sleazeball who is just disgusting and i don't want anything to do with it and then he meets dana and immediately says, oh, I'm immediate, I'm madly in love with you. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to believe this at all? And then by the end of the movie, they get together and you're like, this is not earned at all. This is, this is aggravating and disgusting. It's 
the old trope of if you keep trying, the lady will come mm-hmm. around. If you harass a woman long enough, yep. she'll eventually give in to your whims. Yep, that's the old trope. And you hear some couples that maybe aren't around anymore, but they have the same stories too, where he's like, I just kept trying. And then one day she agreed to go out. I spit on her every day as she walked to school. And one day she said, fine, I'll go out with you. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) yeah, it's, so you have no empathy for a man carrying around 300 cc's of Thorazine and, and, and going on dates yep. and, and being just a general sleazeball. He's a oh doctor. Hanging out, hanging outside of the, uh, the orchestra for, uh, for her to come out and everything else. Just like. <laughs> I gotta say, despite that, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I just hate him. That character beat that he has stays with him through... Even to the TV series. Yeah, they, they definitely carried it over. And I'm I'm hoping that that kind of stays into Afterlife. That is the only bad thing I can say about this movie. I love the graphics. I love how cheesy they are at points. I love the car. I love the fact that in the chase, in the sequence where they get escorted to the, the, the zone where they have to go uh, to Dana's apartment, that there are no other sirens apart from the Ecto sirens. I love the Ecto itself. It's just a fucking amazing car. The pacing of the movie is incredible. There is not a point in the movie where you're like, is this thing still going? Like, no, it's just always interesting and something going on. Like, it's a great movie, but ah, if only they could rewrite Venkman just a little bit, just a little bit. Maybe get rid of his entrance introduction like that. That might have felt a little bit better to me. Do you like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Haven't watched it. Okay. You would have very similar feelings about some characters from that show. Probably. I felt bad for Dana Barrett because she had to try and sneak into her apartment every day to keep Rick Moranis from jumping out of his apartment. And then not only did she have to deal with that, but then she she gains another guy that starts creeping on her i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm fairly certain the uh guy she exited the symphony with was also creeping on her so like she just didn't have any decent people in her life maybe her mom her mom was just in the phone so (laughs) yep she keeps her distance from her daughter she's like i I can't be around you and all your creepers her shopping list you guys pay attention at all what she purchased i mean she bought stay parf marshmallows that's uh that's neat that they introduced those act Whatever that is. Well, the fact that Stay Puffed is an in-universe, like, brand across all of the IP. Like, it, the the Stay Puffed is, it's in all the movies, it was in both the TV, animated TV shows. It's really hard to take Stay Puffed out of there when that's the main bad guy from the first movie, the first introduction. Well, that's, it's just, it was more of the fact that they, they don't forget about it. How could you? They could. Like, they could just totally write that he was just a marsh. It was just a, uh, the god turned into a marshmallow mascot, and that was it. But uh, look at the look at the trailer for Afterlife. I don't want to. Yeah, it's definitely in-universe. I'm excited for Afterlife. I don't want to watch any more previews. I don't know. I'm, I'm a big <laughs> Ghostbusters fan. I, I feel like the wind was reduced from my sails after 2016. I think for me... Driving an Ecto One everywhere as my daily driver, having so wait 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 people we know need, that I love the movie. We need to let the audience know what you actually drive. So I drive a a two thousand ninety ninety one. Yeah, no, I drive a two thousand seven <laughs> Ford Edge that is um, completely decked out with full stickers for Ghostbusters and a roof rack and hoses and everything. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I have an Ecto One. 
uh, Siren and all that good stuff. It's just, um, it's tough because prior, it's for me that it was a milestone. Prior to 2016, when people saw my car or saw my or saw the outfit when I went out for Halloween or whatever events, it was nothing but smiles, honks, waves, clapping. It was this universal thing that you didn't realize how happy it made people. And I didn't realize that when I made my proton pack or made my flight suit or whatever. It's just, I liked it. I love Ghostbusters since I was a kid. And going out with that stuff and having that reaction, it made people happy and it made me happy knowing I was making people happy. I can tell you without a shadow of doubt, since 2016, the conversation has basically switched to half. People saying, oh, that's amazing, I love it, since my childhood, blah, 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 blah to half people just kind of sauntering up to me the exact same way, being like, I just didn't like the one they made about the ladies. Or, yeah, I didn't like the lady one. That one wasn't as good. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I hate that it's turned into that. And, and for me, it's difficult because I liked Ghostbusters 2016 on its own. The characters were great. I liked the characters. I liked the setting. Yes. Ish. I hated the script. I hated the way that it was extremely sexist to the point where it was basically pushed as an agenda piece by an extremely pro-feminist Sony executive to the point where men in the movie are stupid as shit. And all the women are smart in comparison just because the men are that unbelievably dumb in the movie. There's not a single male in the movie that comes off as anything more than a troglodyte. Except for the original Ghostbusters in their weird-ass, shoehorned-in cameos i guess and the big thing is is all of the best jokes for that movie they had a lot of great jokes every single one of them had to be explained because they i don't know if they thought the audience was too stupid but every single joke my favorite one was they're in a they're in a a a restaurant and all of a sudden there's this rumbling outside and Kristen wiggs character looks outside terrified because she doesn't know what's happening she thinks it's the end of the world and it's just a dumpster going by I started chuckling just as she turned to the person she was talking to and said, oh, it's just a dumpster. Yeah, we got that. That's why it was funny. You look at Ghostbusters 1984 in comparison, look at all the individual things you guys just mentioned that you caught in the background that weren't explained to you. Things like the maid squirting out the toilet paper on fire with her, with her spray bottle. <laughs> things like that. You didn't have to have things like as they walk away from her, like Ray say something to Peter and Egon, like, Oh, she's trying to put it out with a spray bottle. You didn't have that. That's not necessary. Something changed. It's not the same kind of humor. And I, I guess, I like, like I said, I like it for what it is. It's just, it's not, for me, it's not Ghostbusters. It, it's definitely a spinoff type dealy, which it obviously is. It's not the same universe even. But when you start throwing queef jokes and explaining every single joke in a Ghostbusters movie, and then you have your... Melissa McCarthy fall down go boom moment where she you 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 know going into it she's gonna fall down somewhere and sure enough when they test the equipment because they had to do that because in the first movie they make the comment about not testing the equipment and here's the here is oh my god this is a perfect perfect juxtaposition Ghostbusters 1984 you guys just talked about them not having a chance to test the equipment flipping it on and slowly backing into the corner of the elevator because that is funny as hell. Ghostbusters 2016. Instead of going that route, we're going to test the equipment 
But this is going to be the fall down, go boom moment because Melissa McCarthy is going to turn on the proton pack and the beam's going to be so strong, it's going to push her up into the air and, and flip her around, slam her against walls and stuff, and then she's going to land on her butt in an alleyway. Yep. Perfect I... example between the two movies, right there. Just right there. And that sort of power never exhibit again. They never have to work against the power of the proton pack. Exactly, exactly. It's just... It, I wanted Ghostbusters 2016 to be good, and for me, I love the characters. I loved the settings, but how can you go from that style of comedy to what we got? And also, how can you go from menacing characters? You have you have a cult that worships this deity that basically has all this craziness surrounding it, and it, it's so intertwined with that character development that you have you know an architect who actually builds this freaking conduit in the middle of a city based off of some sort of material he found that can actually, you know, contact and actually, like, be be a conductor, a superconductor to that spirit world. That's crazy. Like, there's a whole lore and whole sense to it, right? And then you get to 2016, and I'm not even joking, the main bad guy of the movie is just tired of everyone bullying him, so he kills himself. And then he basically possesses something in a form, and you know what form he takes? The Ghostbusters logo. Well, now I don't need to see the movie. I'm sitting here and spoiling a crap ton, but for me, it's just like, this is why I can't stand talking about it, because for me, it was just a, a movie that came out, it was like, eh, okay, and then I just moved on. But every time I park that freaking car, somebody comes up to me, and it's either going to be a, oh my gosh, this makes me so happy, I love this, or it's going to be somebody digging up and rehashing a grave that happened five years ago and beating a horse with a stick. A dead horse that's been dead, decomposed. They just keep pulling it back up to say, I just didn't like it because it had the ladies in it. It's not anything to do with ladies. That's not at all why it's not a good movie. And that's just it. I get so tired of having to bring this up because nobody like you guys sit down and have this conversation where I can actually explain why I don't like the two differences. And that's exactly why. We just got done talking about 1984. That's 2016. I can't do that to passerbys on the street. I have to just endure people saying, I didn't like the lady one. Or the ladies weren't as funny as the guys. It's like, that's not the problem with the movie, you sexist assholes. But it's just... It's... The writing wasn't nearly as good. No, the writing was awful. The writing was absolutely awful. When your reoccurring joke is, oh, he didn't bring me wontons. Yes, yes. I I tried to explain that to Nicole because at first she loved the movie. From downstairs, you're having it delivered from downstairs. I I guess that's kind of funny that the short trip, she can't go pick it up herself. However, it's more more or less irritating character trait for her versus a funny moment in the movie. Mm -hmm. I legitimately feel like had that movie had a different director, maybe some different screenwriters... I feel like that movie absolutely could have been its own thing. It could have been its own spinoff. It could have become its own thing. It could have had sequels like they were intending, and it could have been great. The problem is, is you don't take a franchise that is this well-beloved over so many decades, between so many generations, and you don't just make something new out of it without explanation. You don't just tell people, ah, fuck off, we're doing this. (laughs) And then shoehorn stuff in for nostalgia sakes. Like you said, Dan, Stay Puft is everywhere. Stay Puft is in the universe. Stay Puft is on billboards. He's on signs. He's in Dana Barrett's apartment when she first gets home with her first bag of groceries. That's Stay Puft. You're already well aware of the character before it becomes a thing. So when Ray thinks of Stay Puft, it makes sense. It's a joke. It's haha. It's funny. If this has zero canonical relevance whatsoever to the original two movies, why the hell 
shove Stay Puft in as a balloon in this in this fair sequence or this uh this parade sequence, and then have Stay Puft come to life and try to kill the the, the Ghostbusters. It just doesn't make sense. And then and then Slimer, don't even get me started on shoehorning that in. It's just like it's fine. You want to do your own thing, do your own thing. You want to bring shit in. Now, to your point, the difference <laughs> between 1984 and 2016. Mm-hmm. In 1984, sure, they had those interactions with the Stay Puft Marshmallows. Like, they introduced the Stay Puft Marshmallows, but nobody said anything about them. They didn't have a commercial on TV. Yeah. They didn't shove it in your face that this is a thing in the universe. They just had it in the universe existing. Yeah. And if you paid attention, you saw that, You by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, okay, that's a thing that's in this movie. If it you got to the end of the movie, you didn't, you weren't paying attention, you didn't mm-hmm. notice it's still not that big of a deal that you didn't notice that because, oh, okay, there's a thing in this universe called Stay Puft Marshmallows and they've got this big old thing guy, okay? Yeah. In the 2016 movie, they wouldn't let it rest like that. Like, they wouldn't have the Chekhov's gun be just in the intro. They would be like, hey, look, I want some Stay Puft Marshmallows. And, like, they would find a way to force it in the forefront of everyone's attention yeah. and uh, force that down your throat. So by the time it came to the uh, end of the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, Stay Puft, obviously. So all all of these points that we have made, when 2016 came out, <laughs> Rothy did this exact same thing. Like, that weekend, he went and saw it. And, then, like, I had been wary about it because I had some uncomfortable feelings just from seeing the trailers and all that. Rothy went and saw it. He came back, and he's, he, this is basically beat for beat, said these same things to me. I have never seen the 2016 Ghostbusters, and I don't think I ever will. I, I have one last piece for that. One last piece. Another perfect example between the two. 1984 Ghostbusters. They explain everything. Even to the point where they don't explain everything, they explain everything. And by that, I mean the thing like we were talking about before with the sniffer. I think that's what's canonically referred to as the thing with the ball, you know, that Peter's going through Dan's yep. apartment. We don't know what the hell it does, but it does something. It's part of their equipment. However, we are explained in so much detail about all the other stuff. This thing wrangles the ghost like a lasso. This thing captures the ghost. It's literally a trap. This trap literally goes in this thing, and then they get incarcerated into a custom storage grid. If the storage grid blows up, they all escape. Like a prison. Kind of like that, right? In Ghostbusters 2016... The same premise kind of holds true. They have traps. They have the proton packs. By the end of the film, they have, for some reason, handguns. And when they shoot, and when they shoot the ghosts with these with these proton pack handguns, the ghosts just disappear. They explode. they explode and disappear. Not once is it explained. Not once is it brought up. And then it's just they have these weapons towards the end of the film where they're basically instead of you know. Ghostbusters 1984, Ghostbusters 2, they're fighting a ghost together or like trying to tackle a ghost all as a team. They basically just run in and it's a special effects smorgasbord of there's hundreds of ghosts and they're just blowing them all away like a like a like a like an arcade game. <laughs> just... Yeah, the end of the movie is just, hey, what would look cool? I know. Kate McKinnon scro- uh rolling through her the street on her knees while uh lassoing ghosts with whips that'll make them explode. So that way she can keep on lassoing things. And it does look so cool. It does. It, looks great. it does. However, it's not. <laughs> and I think I think that reshoot. It looks cool. It, I'll give them It that. does look cool, yes, but it just doesn't make sense. It's like, that. I think that ending scene for 2016 also cost uh, somewhere between three and four million. Because there's supposed to be this whole dance scene. And like basically, you know, the, the lead ghost guy was supposed to possess all the other people, like all the law enforcement 
officers and all the National Guard yeah. and have them yeah, dance. Yeah, can possess everyone. Yeah, and have them dance to, like, Thriller or but something, but... The Ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Plot armor. <laughs> you can't you can't possess the heroes. There's just no way to do that. That's that's impossible. They didn't even need a Magneto Magneto style helmet. <laughs> no. They just needed wontons in their bellies and I, I don't know. Speaking of the containment system, mm-hmm. you notice how uh Ernie Hudson gets hired and they just throw the uh the traps at her <laughs> like, Hey, just take care of yeah. these. And then a few scenes later, they're like, oh, it's easy to do the containment system. Here's all you have to do. They're like, (laughs) wait a minute. They're just throwing this shit at them and they didn't even tell them how to contain this yet? (laughs) Like, that's... It's it's great, yeah. Either they're very distracted or the linearness of it's just a little bit odd. That part that part struck me as just Well weird. again, there's that layman layman's man. There's that there's that every man character. Ernie Hudson is just hired. He's thrown into this ridiculous scenario. He has no idea what's going on. And here's this scientist explaining this crap to him. Like it should just be that simple and that quick and easy for him to pick up on. Like flip the switch and press this button, then press that button, then turn this thing, and then it's right. clean. It's like <laughs> to him it makes sense. That happens several mo- uh, scenes later after they've done some other ghost busting. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's just I don't know for for Ray's character for him at Egon, it's probably so simple and it just doesn't make sense that nobody would get that. And it's just another one of those wonderful oh, sure. layers of comedy that's, that's nestled in this thing. And then they got to go through and be like, all right, I guess we actually have to do training. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go through this. It's simple. All you have to do is activate the whatever field. I can't even tell you what it is. So we won't go on too much about the next reboot after the last reboot. the last cause... reboot took the sail right off my boat. And now I'm just slowly drifting towards the reboot. I want to be excited. It has all the recipes for everything I should be excited about. <laughs> I I don't know if if you watched the international trailer or the I mean it's the link that I posted on. I did. I did. I hadn't watched anything. I had been avoiding trailers and as any time I'd see something about Afterlife, I just I would immediately close that close that uh the tab or scroll up more or whatever I would do just to avoid it. I watched that one trailer and I became the conductor of the biggest freaking hype train I have ever ridden. Someone's got it. I, I don't want to say that I am super excited about this movie. Oh, God, I'm too close to my mic. I am so excited for Afterlife. Just from what I have seen and what I have heard from read from the actors and the, the people who worked on the movie, I'm ca- so cautiously optimistic because I want to go in and I want to enjoy, I want to enjoy Afterlife, but I have this sinking suspicion that i am going to be very disappointed in it and i'm hoping just, that's not I'm true i try not to think about it i just i i've really brought it upon myself that my car is a beacon for people's opinions but i just <laughs> i oh god i i can't do another one i, I can't I, i'm really really excited you I'm, can you I, I know low-key i'm i'm giddy as can be because every recipe is there the, the kid to the director of the originals who sat on the sets and listened to his dad talk about the movies as he was making them and like coming up with ideas and sharing them with his kid. His kid being afraid of terror dogs when he was going to bed as a kid before the movie even hit theaters. Like Aww. all of that. Everything makes sense. You know, after filming or after screening it for his dad, his dad cried because it's, it's just such a good pickup from something that <laughs> I... I I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know how to put it into words. It's just, I don't want to be let down by it. I'm trying not to get excited about it. I, I'm not I'm not ready for the conversations that I know are going to be 
catapulting my way within a week here. So. Well, you got four days. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. It Wednesday, is. November 17th is the first available showing. It definitely makes it a lot easier for me to be able to say, I saw just enough uh, previews to get excited. And now I'll just push pause on watching anything that's previews, even the thing that Dan posted and didn't watch it because I've already made up my mind that I want to watch it. <laughs> Anything else I watch from this point on will convince me not to watch it or not like it once I do watch it, just because I'll be so over inundated with already have seen so many of the uh, scenes from the movie so many times that I'll just be bored with it while I'm watching. That's what so I can't stand. No more watching. Yeah, it. I can't stand knowing the whole movie before you go. Or yeah, even just a few watching, just knowing a few scenes from the movie so well that you're sick of them like they play over over and over and over back when tv was a thing like it's no surprise that your movies are getting less and less well panned because well one you're not making them quite as well as you used to but also because you're showing the entire movie 800 times on a tv before people go see it there's not really much left to get excited about and what they have seen they've already already grown tired of so does ghostbusters 1984 does it hold up Yes. I would argue that this is probably one of those movies that holds up more than almost any other movie we've talked about. There's just something about this damn movie that will not stop this train or derail it. Are you sure that something is not nostalgia? No. No. I, I think Absolutely it, it not. stands on its own, with even, <laughs> even with nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> the story and the characters are enough to compel the movie to be standing on its own, even if the graphics don't hold up as well. They're still good enough to make this movie just still an exemplary uh, piece of cinema. It's still an incredible movie. It's an incredible premise, and I'm, I'm glad it yeah. got toned down because the original premise was supposed to involve ghost cops traveling interdimensionally between... <laughs> this is like... Aykroyd had this massive idea, and I'm glad that Ivan brought him down. Yeah, the Ecto-1 was supposed to be, like, like sentient? Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, this whole, like, cross-dimensional, like, crazy adventure and it's just they had like these weird like guns in their hands like wands or something i can't remember what it was but it's just so much different than what it was because ivan reitman really brought dan Aykroyd down and said let's really ground this thing <laughs> and basically brought it up with let's make them exterminators and you know let's give them this let's give them that Are they, were they trying to ride the star wars wave at that point like i don't know what dan Aykroyd was trying to do at that point <laughs> Was he trying to do cocaine? It seems like something somebody on cocaine. <laughs> there, I mean, it was also supposed no to be a much darker film, like way heavier on the horror aspects. And this movie now is way more of a comedy mm -hmm. with some horror, kinda. Would you all be interested in a horror movie version of this? I think I'd be interested. That's something I forgot to say. Um, just for context between generational gra gaps. I wasn't really afraid of anything from this movie being a small kid watching it. The only thing that really kind of spooked me was library ghosts, like you guys all said. Yep. And then a little bit of the taxi driver, like every like all the other people I talked to. But when we went to go see 2016, we brought our son. And I... How old was he at that point? He was seven at the point. He was scared of the ghosts in the new one. He had never been scared of any of the ghosts, Vigo or anything from Ghostbusters 1 or 2. And I remember Paul Feig or Feig, whatever his last name is saying when they were making the 2016 Ghostbusters that he was going to legitimately try to make it scary because why wouldn't you want ghosts to be scary and I think that's just another thing that really plays to the original is that anybody can freaking watch it yeah mm -hmm. well they knew their audience like everyone is their audience you're making a silly <laughs> yeah. comedy 
Are you making a comedy <laughs> or are you making a horror movie? You can do both well, but you're going to need more than what you put into it in order to be able to make this work. Mm-hmm. So I assume everyone would recommend this movie. Oh, if, yes. if I ever Absolutely. don't, <laughs> you need to make sure that I didn't get body snatched. Or you didn't try to pull it, you got and drill a hole through your head? Nah, I would have done it. Did not stop me. Would have worked too. <laughs> I haven't watched Ghostbusters in I don't know how many years, possibly upwards of 20, and... I just had a ball watching it this this week. It was great. Yeah, it's one of those movies that I, because of everything surrounding it and because of the reactions around it and because I put myself more so on like a, in, into a fishable scenario for, for comments on this, I, I did take a break from it. But I was apprehensive going, sitting down to watch it again just because it's been so long and because I honestly kind of became numb and tried to separate myself from things. But watching it again... I was chuckling, I was giggling at a movie that I've seen almost in the triple digits. It it just does everything for me. Well, that was us getting covered in the white sticky goo of the state. Not the state. That was us hopping hopping out of an egg carton and and sizzling on Dana Barrett's counter. I never knew how they handled that. Was that was us (laughs) taunting the key master. That was us running down Gozer. That was us getting tickled by pink lightning. That was us. Being the everyman in our own stories. Us getting slime by slime. Us roasting in the depths of a slore. Getting covered in goo from the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man by watching the Ghostbusters. And I fucked it up again. Oh, no, I us taking a sample again. for Egon. Ooh. <laughs> by rewinding Ghostbusters. That's what I want. So if you enjoyed the show, just rate, comment, subscribe. Please do all those things. It helps us. We actually then get feedback that someone's actually honestly listening. And <laughs> we, we'll be I like, like hey, hearing about the cool. numbers, guys. Thanks. And Come we'll on. give you virtual thumbs up. It makes me feel good. <laughs> and then you can come back in two weeks when we rewind Uncle Buck. So come back in two weeks when we rewind again. Even just reading that line, it's it's hard to read it without laughing. Gozer took the form of a giant slore during the third reconciliation of the last of the Mechatrix supplicants. According to <laughs> many shams and zools know what it was like to roast in the depths of a slore that day, I can tell you. <laughs>